What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome. We here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show are honored that you're joining us today as every show. Whether you're on the U.S. West Coast or in Arizona, you're sipping a cup of coffee, or on the East Coast getting ready for lunch, in Europe or Africa sipping a glass of wine, you're somewhere in between, or you're listening to the show on the archive, I'm sure you'll be glad you joined us. And yes, I am back in Phoenix, back from my trip to Europe where I was for the last few shows. On the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building your wealth, which will certainly do today. I recently found a quote that seemed appropriate for today's topic. If you, find, if you can find a path with no obstacles, it probably doesn't lead anywhere. That is from Frank A. Clark. I occasionally mention that we want the archive of the show to be just as relevant 20 years from now as listening live. For today's show, I don't want you to listen in to 2034 and realize that you made a big mistake by not listening earlier and taking advantage of the opportunities we'll discuss with our guest today. Now, before we dig into our main topic of Africa, the next frontier, I'd like to point out how timely the topic of our last show was with Jack A. Bass. On that show, we discussed offshoring operations and banking and the various opportunities to lower your tax rate legally. Well, maybe the NSA joined us for that show since in the last two weeks, there's been a lot in the news about U.S. companies reducing their tax rates by merging with companies headquartered in other countries or moving their headquarter operations to reduce their tax rate. It seemed like a continuation of our conversation on that show. Now, as we discussed with Jack Bass, corporate executives have a responsibility to the shareholders to reduce expenses, including taxes. So it's only natural to look at incorporating in other countries since the U.S. has the highest corporate tax rate on the planet. Now, a very very notable example last week was how shareholders react when companies do not take that responsibility seriously. That example is Walgreens. Now, in anticipation of the announcement, which was certain to come, the CFO, who clearly favored lowering their tax rate, did what I certainly would have done. He resigned. The very next day, when Walgreens CEO announced that Walgreens would not be moving their headquarters to Switzerland as a part of the acquisition of Alliance Boots, their stock plummeted more than 14%. So now on that CFO's resume, he can add that his departure led to the market value of Walgreens decreasing 
by $9.5 billion in one day. The rational government response to all these relocations would be to lower the U.S. corporate tax rate, especially since most of us realize that corporations do not actually pay taxes. Any taxes they're forced to pay are calculated into future prices, and therefore their customers and ultimately the consumers pay those taxes in the form of higher prices. These U.S. corporate taxes and price increases are, of course, contributing to companies headquartered in other countries uh, having a price advantage. So a company in Switzerland or in uh, other parts of the world will be able to produce the same goods uh, at a lower price. So what happens is U.S. companies will reduce their workforce while foreign companies can grow. That trend was also part of our discussion on the last show, outsourcing and offshoring. But rather than lowering the corporate tax rate, the U.S. Administration and Treasury Department are looking for ways to circumvent Congress to implement additional regulations to deter what's been referred to as corporate inversions to reduce or even avoid taxes. So that's the official term being kicked around, corporate inversions. The difficulty the U.S. Treasury will face is these companies are doing as Jack mentioned, something that's legal. Therefore, whatever the Treasury decides to do will likely violate the law. But shame on me. I keep forgetting that governments don't necessarily do what's logical or legal since they're responsible for writing the laws. They assume they're not accountable under those laws. Only you, I, and other U.S. taxpayers are. So in today's show, we again will be very timely as we talk about investing overseas in the countries which are likely to be beneficiaries of these illogical and sometimes illegal U.S. policies. Today is August 11th, 2014. It is 9.05 in Arizona and the West Coast. It's 11.05 Central Time, where our guest is. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, if you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you might want to connect with us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, put together as a single word. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we are, but if you miss a show, you can find them in the archives. Just go to www.wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archive. And of course, if you want to re-listen today's show, same story. We welcome your comments and questions during the show. I recommend using the chat window, which is down below the radio player for coming in through the Internet. Or you can call in. That number is 917 388 4162. It's also shown at the top of the internet screen. Now, since our last show, the U.S. equity markets have become a bit more volatile than they have been for the last five and a half years. And yes, listeners, the stock market can go down after five and a half years of steady increases you may have forgotten. The U.S. equity markets are off to a very positive start today. Asia was up sharply. Europe, which also just closed, was also up sharply. And Brazil, is up as well. Everybody's euphoric. To discuss the Africa, the next frontier, is a returning guest, Robert Sherrard. Maybe that's why they're so excited today. They realize we'll be talking about another opportunity. 
He's the senior international fund manager of the Commonwealth Funds, president of SCA Corp. He has a bachelor's degree in accounting from University of Florida, an MBA and JD from Northeastern University, as well as an LLM. And by the way, that's also known as a Master of Laws in taxation from the Boston University Law School. No one accuses Robert of not getting an education. In addition to becoming a uh, member of the Florida and Massachusetts State Bars, he's also a CPA in Florida and serves as an officer and director to many organizations, including some based in Africa. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Robert Sherrard. Welcome back, Robert, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Now, I gave a brief overview of your background, and even though you've been on the show before, for our newer listeners, how do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Well, we run uh, through FCA Corp., which I started in, in 1975 in the Wellesley Office Park in Boston, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. a fee-based financial planning firm. And part of that is our group of mutual funds held in the Commonwealth International Series. Uh, I'm probably one of the older fund managers you'll talk to, and most fund managers don't <laughs> come with a, a technical background in tax and, and law, but it's been very right. helpful for me over the years. Uh, for example, I've taught many courses on uh, international financial reporting standards, which is the accounting uh, rules followed mm-hmm. by most of the rest of the world, and that's been helpful for me in looking at businesses that do uh, in other countries. Good point. Good. That is, that is a good point, because that's one of the things we'll, we'll talk a little bit about is, is uh, understanding the financials in some of those countries. It's not simple if you're not familiar with the, with the rules. But I didn't really realize you started in uh, Massachusetts, and uh, that kind of explains the uh, Commonwealth name, I guess, uh, because you're based in uh, Houston at this point, correct? That's right. I was uh, going to school at the time and, and actually mm-hmm. had the pleasure of teaching at Bentley College, which is one of the oldest accounting mm-hmm. schools in the United States. Uh, and was obviously getting my master's in tax, and so I started the firm uh, at that stage while I was still in school. Okay, and got tired of the cold climates and started moving south. I understand. Uh, last time you were on, we talked about investing internationally. Would it be fair to say that Africa was about as exotic and potentially non-correlated investment as available on the stock market today? Uh, I think so, particularly if you get away from the African com- companies that are really international businesses mm-hmm. like source companies. Right, exactly, because there are a number of multinationals as, as well, obviously, doing business there, and that's what we want to talk about, both both aspects. Now, we don't normally focus on recent events, because as we said, we like the archive to be relevant uh, five or 20 years from now. But I think there's some recent events that are very relevant to our topic. You know, it appears to me, and for everything I read, in the last decade, China has been the most aggressive investor in Africa. Was that a factor in your decision to start the Africa Fund? But no, it really wasn't a factor in our starting the fund, but I've been a firsthand observer of, of China's uh, activities because I first went to Africa in the mid-1990s, hmm. and they clearly have made a commitment to uh, do things there. A lot of it has been extraction industries. Uh, they do do some things that are local in terms of benefit, but, it, but it's, uh, it's a different way of doing business than probably what we do. Okay, if they're a major driver, China I'm talking about now, and and, uh, have a number of uh, large investments, and I assume a lot of those are lucrative for their own companies, not necessarily just for the benefit of of Africa, is that still a positive for Africa that they are investing there? Well, I think any time you build infrastructure and trade, it it helps uh, the people who live in Africa. And and clearly there's been some good things that have come out of the Chinese involvement, 
early on, though, it was really a, pretty much, in my mind, a one-way street. I would see Chinese, uh, well, a good example is I, I saw a hotel they built in one country we deal in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ringed the property literally with a wall that was largely made out of uh, metal fencing, and they housed on the area Chinese workers they brought in. Hmm. And many of those workers were doing jobs that could have been done by the locals. You know, I can understand bringing a technical person or someone of sure. that nature. Uh, but So the Chinese government, I believe, lent the money to build the hotel. They bought the goods from China. They employed Chinese labor, mm-hmm. many okay. of whom actually stayed in the country. I'm not sure officially, but they ended up staying. So I think those types of, of intrusions by the Chinese really are not helpful. And in that case, the other thing that's interesting is they built a hotel getting no input as to what really was needed in the type of hotel. That the market needed. I didn't see any kind of hotel flag associated with it early on. So I think the government was left owing money on a on a large property. They thought originally okay. it was going to be a gift that was not really constructed in a way that would be an efficient hotel operation. Yeah, and you know, while I've stayed in hotels in China and they can run hotels okay, uh, I don't think they're known as the leading uh, hospitality group in the world. And so Correct. I think there's shortfalls with those things. Hmm. Okay, before we did dig into some more specifics, would you share with our listeners how they contact you, learn more about the Commonwealth Funds, and specifically the Africa Fund? Well, we have a website, uh, commonwealthfunds.com, and because mm-hmm. so many people really are interested in knowing more about Africa, if you look at our, our site, you'll see that we've done several things. We have an interactive map. If you hover over any country in Africa, it'll give you the GDP and population mm-hmm. information. If you click on that, it'll take you through to the CIA website, for the CIA fact page on that country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a link to every stock market in Africa, so you can go directly to, the, to those stock exchanges if you'd like, uh, so people can get more information on different countries. We also have links to uh, all the regional banks, uh, government banks, uh, and the different uh, trade regions. Uh, we have regional economic alliances such as SADAC, which is the Southern African Development Community, Mm-hmm. or ECOWAS, which is the economic community of West Africa, or you have COMESA, which is Eastern and Southern Africa. And so there's a lot of very useful information on, these, on the site that helps people become better informed about economics in Africa, the stock markets of Africa, and what really is going on. Okay, and doesn't me just repeat that. It's www.commonwealthfunds, all one word. Com. And, uh, you know, I, I did see the map, and I did kind of uh, glance at it and look through some of the, you know, just highlighting the various countries, but I didn't realize by clicking through I'd get so much more information, so I'll have to get back on there. And uh, I figure that's why I do this show. I learn more, too. You know, <laughs> I don't, if, I, if I knew everything coming in, we wouldn't need a show, right? Uh, as I recall, the, all your Commonwealth funds are registered in the U.S., so anyone with a brokerage account that allows them to trade U.S. securities is able to invest. They don't need to set up a foreign brank, brokerage account in Africa or an offshore account that we talked about on our last show, correct? Uh, That's correct, and we report uh, for all the U.S. tax reporting. uh, They get a 1099 similar to any other mutual fund Mm -hmm. that will give them what they have to report in the way of interest income or dividend income from the fund. 
Okay, so anybody that's already investing in U.S. securities, these act the same way other than they're, they're invested over, overseas, as many global funds would be, uh, just a little bit more, more specialized. Uh, now, our timing for this show could not have been better. I, I mentioned earlier that we had good timing, uh, and many thanks to Susan and Cindy for arranging uh, the, the, not only the show, but the specific timing. I'm not sure they knew as well that the timing would be so good. But the first U.S.-Africa summit uh, is just wrapping up, and I guess it was really primarily last week. And I understand you were asked to appear on another prestigious media outlet, Fox Business TV, uh, to comment on that summit and investing in Africa. Can you share your insights with our listeners as well? Well, yes. Uh, the president uh, convened a meeting with presidents from most countries in Africa. Uh, the administration has announced an initiative to deal with uh, energy recognizing the importance of power in the developing world. So we had leaders from all over all over Africa in Washington and other places. Uh, not only did they go to Washington, but we met with delegations here in Houston, for example. The president of Ethiopia came, and they had a one-day conference dealing with doing business in Ethiopia and that part of the world. Uh, so I shared some of those thoughts uh, on, the, on the Fox uh, program. That's correct. Okay, interesting. I didn't realize they were down in, in Houston as well. I knew they had meetings in other parts of the country. I mean, while you're over here, it makes sense to, to, to do that. So, uh, But uh, great to hear. Now, during that first U.S.-Africa summit, World Bank uh, President uh, uh, Dr. Jim Young Kim, I've got to make sure I say that slowly so I don't get the, the words mixed up, uh, he said he's committing, and the World Bank would commit $5 billion in new technical and financial support for energy projects specifically, for several of these African countries. How does that impact investment opportunities there? Well, the access to reliable power is a huge issue in developing markets. And so anything that's done to do that better will translate in consumer growth uh, and, and, and increased standard of living. Uh, so I think it's very positive that we're, we're focusing on that, and that's the way that the U.S. has much to contribute in that area and I believe they will do so. Okay, so it basically the U.S. is kind of stepping into the same uh, role, maybe at a, a smaller scale so far, as, as China. It sounds like they're, they're maybe following a little bit of China's example of uh, investing in this up-and-coming uh, economy as opposed to just sitting back and leaving it to somebody else to worry about. Yes, and I think the approach will be a little bit different. I mean, the, the U.S. approach involves not just our government. It involves the private sector. Mm -hmm. And that's, okay. and that's a, big, a big difference is this will be private sector initiatives funded in part with uh, development bank money, but you'll have a big private sector component. Okay, and no, I, uh, I would you know, echo that's probably the more important component of the whole thing just because of you know, companies are really where, where things happen. It's not the government, uh, which tends to announce a lot of stuff and <laughs> it doesn't necessarily follow through. But now while we're mentioning the U.S., we've got 50 states each has their own climate, resources, and some strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and as you mentioned on your website, and I, which I noticed you have this map of Africa, it has some links to information. Um, and and uh, at the same time, they've got over 50 countries, but I assume those countries are far more diverse than the states uh, we have in the U.S., correct? Uh, that's correct. And I think one thing people don't realize is the distance in Africa. You know, I go there very frequently, and... and uh, and there's a serious issue here with Ebola in some parts of West Africa. Yes. But, but to give you a perspective, I'm going to be just north of that in, in Senegal uh, in about a week. Mm -hmm. 
And when I get on the flight in, in Dakar, Senegal, to go to Johannesburg, I will spend about nine hours plus on an airplane. Now think about wow. that. Wow. And, and that's not from the top of Africa. That's already sure. down the western side of ways. And it's not to the bottom of South Africa. Johannesburg is located in the northern part of South Africa. Right. So there's a nine-hour flight. Uh, when I go from there up to Malawi, uh, I'll spend two and a half hours on a flight. When I go from there to Addis, uh, I'll spend three hours on a flight. So the distances are huge, and the continent is massive in size, and the differences are unbelievable. Uh, not only do you have climate differences, but you have cultural differences, religious differences. Uh, all those things come into play, and, and, and it, to stereotype Africa as a country, not a continent, is one of the big mistakes I find people do. Okay, so anybody that had some idea of maybe uh, uh, flying into the northern part of Africa, renting a car and driving down to Cape Town, uh, you might want to scratch that whole idea. Uh, I don't even mention the road system is a whole different thing. That was one of the mistakes. I was in South Africa a number of years ago and uh, had a chance to go on one of the safaris and, and really uh, in addition to business meetings. Uh, but one mistake I made, I didn't go all the way down to Cape Town to uh, to see it. I just you know kind of rushed back to, back to the office to get work done, which uh, you know in hindsight was one of those dumb things you do when you're growing up, <laughs> growing up in my uh, 40s or something. But let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you missed some of the prior shows, like the several I mentioned earlier, you want to re- re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on www.wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email, a reminder of the shows, just send an email to me, Ron Hatt wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events, or you can follow The Ronald, all one word, on Twitter or Facebook. Now, a reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, uh, yes, you, our listeners, to ask questions. The easiest is to start a chat in the area below the radio player, or call in 917-388-4162. That number, again, is shown at the top of the screen. Our topic today is Africa, the next frontier, which we're discussing with Robert Sherrard the Senior International Fund Manager of the Commonwealth Funds, including the Africa Fund, and he's president of FCA Corp. Now, I, Robert, I thought it was interesting uh, that Economist magazine back in 2000 called Africa the hopeless continent. They changed their view dramatically in 2013, just a year ago, and referred to it as the hopeful continent, playing on words of their earlier articles. What changed in those 13 years? Well, I think there's several things that have happened. Uh, one is communication uh, creates transparency. And mm-hmm. I think that that's been really uh, a big part of, of the change in Africa and the growing consumers. I've often believed that, that democracy is best supported by, uh, by free enterprise. Mm-hmm. And when people who have nothing, uh, they don't have much to worry about. I mean, they aren't worried about the things that you and I are worried about. But as their living standard starts to improve, they make more demands of their government because they understand things can be better. And, and I've been going there for over 20 years, and I've observed in those times, you know, our mutual fund is fairly new, but we've done private mm-hmm. transactions in Africa since the mid-'90s. And I've just seen a tremendous growth in, in, in the consumer area, uh, the education of the workforce, uh, the desire to have a better lifestyle, and that's, lead, that's really what leads to, I think, a lot of the opportunities today. It's not the resource play in Africa. That's not what we view our investment uh, strategy should be. But really it should be to deal with what is a, a, a huge population that per capita income is growing you know, at a fairly good clip, 
and they are mm-hmm. demanding better quality services and, and getting them too, and that's leading to unbelievable inter-Africa trade as well as trade with Africa. Well said. Not on that topic of education and workforce, one of the things we won't have enough time to cover, but I noticed that the uh, business schools are just starting to look at uh, setting up, already, and if you have already set up business programs in, in a number of the countries in Africa. So uh, the MBA uh, in Africa is not a, uh, uh, a wishful thinking. It's, it's starting to happen. So uh, exactly agreed on the education of the workforce. I mean, even the schools are starting to recognize it. <laughs> Well, we've been doing those actually as an initiative for several years ourselves and in, in uh, conjunction with several schools in the United States. We're doing one now with Florida Southern College in Lakeland. It'll be their third program for emerging market executives to come and be immersed for two weeks in a U.S. sort of MBA mm-hmm, school mm-hmm. type of environment. Uh, we've done things at Rice University here in Houston and other schools that have really uh, broadened people's knowledge of the American markets as well as Americans' knowledge of, of people from Africa and how they do business. Oh, absolutely. Big big difference initially until you start realizing that there's some, some commonalities as well. Now, I understand the continent's economy has doubled in size on, on a per capita basis, not just in, in a uh, uh, pure numbers basis. What are some of the major factors driving that growth? Well, I, I go back to the consumer class, and I, I used to mm-hmm. say a growing middle class. It's, there is a middle class, but but it's not the level of consumption we have. But there is a growing consumer class, and what I see happening is that people are better, better educated. Governments are doing a better job of getting out of the way and allowing uh, business to uh, to function. And because of that, people's standards of living are going up. Uh, in the time I've been going to one of the countries there, I've seen a, a medical school be created. I've seen private oh. hospitals built. Uh, they just built a beautiful new nursing school. Uh, these things were almost unheard of you know, a couple decades ago in any kind of meaningful fashion. And so with that comes all the ancillary services, and uh, that's really one of the things we've looked at is all these goods have to be transported, so we look at companies in the transportation business. Communication is unbelievable. Uh, they have uh, vehicles uh, to to do uh, finance with your cell phone. You know, it's mm-hmm. a very very interesting thing. Uh, mobile money, they call it. Uh, I'm familiar with one situation where uh, if you use your cell phone, uh, depending on what your cell phone charges are, you get term life insurance for the month based off of that. Things that you know, just you're really quite technically sophisticated. Uh, because they've they've just basically ignored the the landline kinds of things during that uh, strat- that changeover and have gone directly with uh, you know with the mobile communication vehicles and it's been very very effective in doing that. Yeah, that's one of the things people forget about. I happen to experience that in, in uh, what we refer to as New Europe, but they, they don't go back to the technologies that we were uh, we are today throwing away. Uh, to start with those, they basically move uh, into the current or even step ahead. They don't reinvent uh, what we used to do. They basically just start from from current status, so that a lot of times they just hope bypass thirty or forty years of of uh, technology obsolescence and move right to the to the current day. And, I, and most people don't think of that. They figure, oh, okay, we can ship them over the old technology we no longer use, and they'll take advantage of that. Uh, that's not true in the, when, when these countries kind of really get moving again. Well, and it's also interesting to watch what happens. I mentioned we've been doing private transactions. One mm-hmm. of the things we did was build a shopping center, and uh, that shopping center houses uh, a company 
that now is owned by Walmart. So we never thought at the time that we did indirectly have a Walmart tenant, but we do. So uh, there are people seeing what's going on in those markets, and they're coming in in a big way. Right, so it's not Woolworths moving in because they're no longer uh, uh, viable in the U.S. or in Europe. So uh, it is it is right to current stuff. I've got a very very good example of not just technology, but of, of uh, you know current uh, types of uh, stores and retail and everything that just kind of steps in from where we are today. We don't step backwards by starting these countries uh, going. Okay, enough of these recent events. Let's go back to when you started the Africa Fund. What were some of the motivations for doing that? And as I recall, that was in 2011, correct? Yes, uh, towards the end of that year. We, we've been doing business on the continent for almost 20 years. We realized we knew a lot about what was happening. We understood uh, where the trade was going on, particularly in the southern part of Africa, and felt like we could use this uh, knowledge base to efficiently run a mutual fund uh, that traded in African stocks. And so our mandate is companies that basically get the majority of their business out of Africa or are based, based in Africa. Uh, and, and that's what we've really done in terms of our, our fund. Okay, so you you basically were on the ground. You had a feel for what was what was happening, and, and you just felt that you know this was this was a time to do it. You didn't read the 2000 edition of, of uh, Economist. You just looked at your own knowledge of of what's happening in the market and said uh, it's time to move forward. Well, I observed changes, and, and, and this has happened to me before, and I've I've had other things as an investor. In the past, where I observed a change and, and realized after the fact I didn't act on it, and what I saw happening was really immense opportunities. Uh, at the same time, we have the ability to see it firsthand. I mean, we, I've been into retail stores. I, I've compared what I think is the quality of some of the retailers because I've been there firsthand. I've flown mm-hmm. on different airlines in Africa. I've seen which ones are delivering and which ones aren't. Uh, so those firsthand experiences uh, lead me to understand better what some of the consumer trends are and what people are buying and why we might want to invest in certain companies there. Good point. Now, but you've already gotten started uh, yes. several years under your belt. Uh, has your optimism risen for Africa's opportunities or this deeper knowledge and seeing the investing landscape, are you more cautious than you were before? No, I think things have even improved over the last two or three years. While the African stock markets have experienced some stress during that period, and the exchange mm-hmm. rates have not been helpful to them because, in many cases, their exchange rates have weakened against the dollar. The underlying story gets better and better. This this transparency thing is really an important issue. You know, Africa does have problems. There is corruption in some parts of Africa. There is violence in some parts of Africa. But that's not the whole continent. And what I've seen is that people have better access to information and are holding their political parties more accountable. And and I think that it's starting to have some results, and we're seeing changes that I think are very positive in many parts of Africa. That's yeah, interesting. As you said, that sentence of Africa does have problems, and uh, uh, there is there is crime and there are issues uh, there. Um, I you could have substituted the word uh, Washington, D.C., and you would have had a, a perfectly logical sentence to go along with it. So, um, you know, Africa is not the only place with problems. Well, and listen, if you want to invest in what is a huge marketplace that is free of some of the other issues, you know, in the areas where the stock markets exist, many of them have a long history of of business activities. And there is a rule of law that exists, and the commercial trades function. And so the South African stock market has been around for 150 years. So people worried about risk, uh, 
many parts of Africa are far safer than some of the other emerging markets you go into, and you have a better better chance of enforcing your rights and getting your money out than than you would in a lot of other parts of the world. And yet you're going to share that emerging market growth story. You've got all these people who are, are the consumer market, which is just growing like crazy. You know, I read something recently that of uh, America's uh, 15 largest trading parties today, 11 are former um, aid recipients. Mm-hmm. So we built a, a strong yep. tie there. Uh, the growth rates, you, you, you look at things from the IMF and other, and they're expecting growth rates to be in the 5 to 6% range of GDP over the next couple of years. Those are huge growth rates. And there's... Yeah. there's I, I tot- totally agree. As a matter of fact, when you said that about the aid recipients, I mean, one of the big examples that came to mind was, was Germany. I mean, there was a country that was flattened after World War II, um, and it's now considered, you know, the strongest economy in, in Europe and a real staple of the um, of the EU. Uh, and yet, here was a country that was totally destroyed. The old adage, if you want to uh, rebuild your country, is attack the U.S., uh, let, them, uh, uh, let them destroy you, and then rebuild you. So <laughs> it sounds like, uh, uh, you know, that, that story gets repeated but of course a lot of these are smaller countries and you're, you're absolutely right uh, the the growth the growth stories are those that were uh, what we call developed undeveloped or, or emerging markets just a few years ago I think one thing that helps the investors when you look at Africa I mentioned before these regional sort of trade areas and when you invest in Africa you're going to get different results at this stage I think depending upon which of the different regions you invest in Mm-hmm. The, the SADAC region, which encompasses uh, you know most of Southern Africa, in my mind right now, is, is the most dynamic. Uh, that uh, the, the one big problem there is Zimbabwe, but I think that as it hopefully eventually gets its uh, its act together and, and sort of post Mugabe will will help. Uh, right now, it's a drag on the SADAC region, but South Africa is obviously the the big player in that region, but the whole area, Mozambique, you know, it's, it's uh, amazing. Uh, in, in northern Mozambique, uh, there's a uh, mine, Vale, the, uh, or Val, rather, the Brazilian mining company, has gone in there to put a large coal mining facility. And I've seen firsthand what that happens, what, what that means for the community. They've sure. then built a railway that, that crosses uh, Malawi and Tanzania. And all of a sudden, you have access to that market and, and that you never had before in an efficient right. fashion. And it's really interesting for me, as I drive along in one place, you can drive along and you see the construction, and here's all these guys dressed like you'd see somebody dressed in the U.S. in terms of work-protective clothes and the hard mm-hmm. hats and everything mm-hmm. else, um, in an area that, that a couple years ago, that would just never have been the event. So these things happen. They have all these spinoff effects in in the the city where they're headquartered, they don't have enough hotels now. They don't have enough right. other services, so people are looking building those things, and it just sort of multiplies on itself. So our view is you you get on the fringes, you provide those services to the consumers, and that's how you make the money. It's not so much that you try to buy the resource company, you try to buy all the guys that are going to supply the community that benefits from that resource company. Okay, fair, fair point. Infrastructure is always key to, to, to any of those businesses. Now, one more question I forgot to ask related to China. With China as that major investor and, and probably also a major uh, customer for commodities, will Africa's future ebb and flow follow or be in sync with China's? So if China has problems, Africa's could as well? 
Well, I think there is some correlation because the resources that Africa has, has sold to the Chinese uh, are somewhat uh, tied to their demands for those resources. Mm-hmm. But, but beyond that, I think Africa has a lot more flexibility to trade with other parts of the world, and it's not really locked in and that its exports have to go to China. So I, I would say that it's not totally linked to the China story. Okay, but there, there's going to be some correlation, at least for the foreseeable future, because of, um, because of that. Okay. Now, historically, the bi- biggest motivation for investment in Africa, and we saw that with China and some of the other countries, has been commodities. And I guess pr- the most important of those has maybe been, or the biggest of those, has been oil. What sectors do you see growing most over the next few years? Well, we're looking at, at uh, communication, okay. transportation. Mm-hmm all types of consumer goods, financial services, and health products. Hmm. That's what we're looking for. The opportunities okay. there are, are immense. You know, if you want to just buy a resource company, resources are not really unique to Africa. Right. You can buy a company that's in Australia. You can buy a company that's in Africa. You can buy a company that's business in the U.S. or South America. So the resources themselves are not really localized to Africa. There are a lot of resource companies there, but they're many times global plays. So we've we felt like the Africa story is one level down. And it's on all these things that feed off the growth of the continent. And there's many opportunities to do that with well-established companies that are located on the continent already. Yeah, and on the transportation front, when you mentioned the example of, of rail, uh, it just reminds me of what a revolution the U.S. went through when they finally put a rail system in across the country. I mean, that just totally changed the ability to transport goods and uh, services and the number of jobs it created, the communications that get along with it, because you can you know, put now put in your uh, fiber, fiber optic cables along with it. So I hadn't really thought about the rail aspect, but with that large of a continent, uh, that is absolutely critical. I mean, India is going through the same thing. They, 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 right. They've run out of space to hang additional uh, thousand Indians on the side of a train. And, and, and so they're not looking at huge investments in, in rail, which, uh, of course, when, you know, in Europe we see it a lot, but in the U.S., rail has been kind of ignored for so many years. But uh, that, there's a good example. I just had not thought of that. I mean, we always think of transportation as more cars and trucks, but uh, I, I can see where that's absolutely critical to, to their growth. Now, traditionally, the only investments uh, I ever had in Africa and the Middle East were in Israel and South Africa. Which countries or regions do you see the biggest opportunities now? You know, I I want to step back a second because yesterday I just uh, closed and finished the last page of Stephen Ambrose's Transcontinental Railroad. Oh, interesting. And as I read that book, I was thinking of the parallels because he de- it described what an impact it had on the U.S. Right. And in Africa, it's not only the rail. The other thing is uh, the airlines. Uh, Ethiopian Airline, which is uh, not a publicly traded company, mm-hmm. but uh, runs a very modern airline, and it is just opening up the continent. At one time, one country I went to, I had two days a week I could fly there. And if I missed the flight, right, I waited right. three or four days. Now, that same country, in a matter of the last two years, one of the city I go into, I have three to four exit flights a day on some days I can choose to get out of there. So you can imagine the impact that has in terms of regional trade and, and services. It's just really huge. Uh, the executives, you know, when I was a kid, we used to have a joke that said, if you want to go to heaven, you had to connect in Atlanta because everything coming out of Florida went through Atlanta. <laughs> That's right. Well, That's right. I, I used to have to fly 
three, four hours back south to Johannesburg to go north three oh. or four hours. Wow. So it would take you two days to go was really was just a, a two- or three-hour trip. That's rapidly changing. And the rails uh, for industrial aspects, the road transportation, you're getting better border crossing efficiencies, you're getting better trucking and things of that nature that are all helping move the goods and services around, and that's just really critical. Okay. So where do those expand next? What are are those countries with the big growth opportunity? I mean, you said South Africa, obviously, that's been uh, around for a while, and I'm I'm sure they're still growing. There's still a lot of opportunities. But what countries and regions do you see that, um, that, that growth opportunity the most? Well, we really think that uh, you have a great opportunity, as I mentioned before, the, the SADAC region, which is southern mm-hmm. Africa. Mozambique, okay. for example, uh, is, is starting to, to really accelerate its growth. Uh, you're seeing uh, the same types of things in Tanzania. Uh, okay. That whole southern region, in addition to South Africa. Uh, the story in eastern Africa, with uh, Kenya being the lead player, there are stock markets in other places in the region there. Uh, but it's really the lead player. It's struggling because it has had issues, unfortunately, with uh, terrorism and other issues there that I think has put a damper on it. Right. Uh, and and I, uh, that doesn't mean you don't invest there, but I think it's, it's made it more more problematic uh, in that regard. Uh, so, so, but that, that, that region will emerge as one. West Africa, Nigeria is really the dominant force there. Uh, yes, you can trade in Ghana and some of the other countries, mm-hmm. but Nigeria is a huge factor, but it has such a, a poor reputation that I think that's right. a hangover, and it really does retard some of the success. You know, I mean, we tread fairly lightly in investing in Nigeria, and while we have some exposure there, uh, you, I think you have, you have to be more practical in concern than maybe you would in some other countries. So our bigger bigger focus is on uh, the southern African region, but not to the exclusion of the rest of Africa. There are opportunities throughout the continent. Okay, now there's a good example of, of value added in a show like this. I, I can just, you know, if we did a survey of our listeners and said how many of you could have named some of the up-and-coming areas of Africa, I think we would have ended up with zero, and that includes me, uh, to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, there, there's an example of somebody on the ground can going to name those and know which ones uh, have opportunities, which ones are problem areas that we probably hear about more. Uh, so that is, you know, I, I just, I guess, immediately makes people realize how, or makes me realize how trying to do this on my own would be almost impossible. But for our listeners that just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive. If you missed prior shows, you can find them on the archives. That is www.wealthdna.us. Today our guest is Robert Sherrar, Senior International Fund Manager of the Commonwealth Funds, including the Africa Fund, which is our topic today, is Africa the Next Frontier. Robert, the U.S. and Europe are struggling to reach 2% growth uh, in GDP. What growth rates do you see for Africa in the foreseeable future? Uh, I'm pretty comfortable that you'll see 5 to 6% and some outliers beyond that. Okay, huge difference, huge difference. So there's an there's, uh, example. And in terms of leading the pack, it would be those countries you mentioned, like uh, Mozambique, Tanzania, uh, in that southern region, that you would expect some of the, the, the most, I guess, in terms of both GDP growth and, and investment opportunity. Yes, and you will see some, I think, in the eastern region also. 
Okay. All right. So the countries that we've traditionally known and worked with may not be the ones that are the best opportunities. Ghana kind of came to mind just because of uh, I used to buy uh, cocoa from uh, Ghana on the Ivory Coast uh, in, in the tens of thousands of tons. So, uh, you know, I got to know that market a little bit, but that was, you know, a very specific uh, company for a specific need, obviously a chocolate company. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't know the other opportunities uh, without... Well, well without the, the, yeah, the issue mm-hmm. you have, for example, Ghana has a stock exchange, and there are companies that you can buy on that exchange. Okay. But I, I think what you'll find is that, that it's, it's much more difficult and it's a much smaller exchange uh, to deal in than others. So there's also another sort of trick to all this, and that is uh, to look at where you can get into these countries, but maybe through a more established exchange. And a good example is many South African companies have extensive business throughout Africa. If you look at some of the retail uh, chains, uh, they're now building uh, and have been building uh, stores all over Africa. You look at some of the insurance and banking groups, uh, they extend to the local market, sometimes in joint ventures with local banks or other institutions, sometimes on their own. So you can actually buy a stock in some of the cases of of companies that trade on the South African Stock Exchange Mm -hmm. that have a high component or focus on the rest of Africa but still get some of the stability of buying a more liquid stock and, and maybe a little bit more regulated exchange. So that's one way to, to deal with these things, and we, we try to do that too. It's a somewhat more efficient way at times to invest in the region. Very logical. Good, good tip. Now, with over 50 diverse countries, limited infrastructure, as you mentioned, companies that are not traded on the major exchanges that we think are the ones that we might normally deal with, uh, is there any way an investor really could invest in Africa uh, other than through an investment fund like the Africa Fund? Well, yes, they are, and I think it's always good for people to know what their options are. Mm -hmm. Uh, The starting point is through what are called ADRs, which are the depository receipts. Right. And okay. what you'll find is that you can buy shares that are either sponsored or unsponsored. Uh, some of the sponsored ones would trade on the New York Exchange. But you'll find those are largely mining companies and some of the big financial institutions and are pretty uh, uh, sparse once you get out of South Africa. But you okay. could buy individual companies. Now, there you're making a company bet, and that's harder for someone to do, I think, in the sure. market. And, and you actually are probably buying just the bigger companies in most cases. So you're not getting that that trickle-down effect you get of a broader portfolio. There are some iShares. There's an iShare for South Africa. I believe the symbol is EZA, and that will buy into the Johannesburg stock market. But if you look there again, what you're going to do is be very heavily weighted towards financial institutions and mining companies. You will get some other stocks, but you will not get the diversity I think you would get of a, of a, of a broader portfolio that focuses less on the resource and more on the other act, consumer activities. And then, of course, in Nigeria, you can buy an iShare for Nigeria uh, that will invest only in the Nigerian market. So ADRs or the two iShares. And the last is you can buy the African Titans, which really covers the whole continent, uh, and it trades much like the iShares in the U.S. And But that there, again, will be, by its own definition, Titans. It will be ones. really, really large companies. And it may not get you the, the diversification you want, but it's certainly a way that one can efficiently invest in the, on the continent. Oh, it's interesting. I was going to ask you about the uh, ETFs, if there are any available. And then, as you mentioned, EZA. So, wait a minute, that one sounds familiar. And I just realized I have some in my portfolio. So, <laughs> I'm guilty of my own. But, again, as you said, that's going to be South Africa-focused. 
and uh, I assume, therefore, more is, uh, you know, without reading perspectives I don't have in front of me, I'm assuming I'm ending up with a, a narrow segment of uh, the companies that would be, uh, you know, potential growth opportunities in Africa. I'm probably investing in what was as opposed to what's up and coming. Well, and it doesn't mean, you know, we use them, too. I mean, I, I think they're a way to have some exposure to a particular market or the broad mm-hmm. markets, but we try to surround that with a lot of individual stocks, that uh, have specific uh, purposes and, and may or may not be in those indexes. In fact, many of them would not be in the index. Correct, correct. And that's why that's why I was getting at. I'm sure the EZA is is, is much more limited, but uh, it's interesting. I, I didn't even realize I, I had that. So uh, <laughs> glad you mentioned the specific symbol. That's how I found it so quickly. And uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the downsides. Obviously, the fund performance has been. Uh, less than what we would have seen in um, the U.S. I'm not, I didn't do a comparison against Europe uh, for the last uh, two plus years that the fund hasn't been in existence. Uh, it's it's been kind of a, a not a huge mover, as you mentioned. There are a couple factors like exchange rates that have been a major major driver, uh, which to me is also a positive. I got a little bit of. of uh, uh, diversification, which gives me some of that non-correlation, but. Um, you know what? What do you see as some of the risks? Uh, if somebody jumps into Africa, assumes everything is going to be great, their number of money is going to double every five years. Uh, what should be some of the things they know up front to um, not later on uh, have regrets? Well, you do have a currency issue, as you've already alluded to, and yep. that can okay. go for you or against you. You mm-hmm. know, we've been investing internationally. Uh, I've personally been doing it for over thirty years, and we've run international funds since nineteen ninety one. So. Uh, that's that's one aspect. Uh, the taxes can be a, a little bit of an issue, but those seem to have been simplified greatly. And for most people, you're somewhat indifferent. You know, if you pay a tax in the foreign country, you probably get a credit on your U.S. tax return. Correct. So I don't see that as a huge negative, but it's, it is something you need to be cautious about. As an individual investor, you have a greater risk of uh, getting blindsided by something that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, I learned a hard lesson years ago with my own nickel when I bought a company in New Zealand, and I was a guy that believed in book values and, and uh, you know uh, those sorts of uh, metrics, mm-hmm. and I was really impressed. I was buying this real estate company, and it looked profitable, and it was a low price to book. What I didn't realize at the time was that under the accounting standards they used, they revalued the assets every year. So the book value was not historic. It was someone's estimate of value, and they ran the profits of that through the income statement. So it was the worst of all worlds. Uh, That was acceptable accounting uh, standards at one time. Uh, Now revaluations are still done, but they're handled a little bit differently, and the disclosures are better. So when you invest in in a company in Africa that's not on U.S. GAAP, what you have to be careful is it's it's not necessarily the book value metrics that you and I learn in school a few years back, even U.S. companies are changing how they account for that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the earnings may be calculated differently. They may have different uh, treatment of goodwill. They could have different uh, amortization of pension expenses. All those things come into play. So on a single stock purchase, you have a better chance of getting blindsided by some factor that you didn't really know about that comes into play because you just assumed something that wasn't the case. So you have to really, you know, talk to other people, you have to look at the financial statements, and, and be comfortable that the difference is something that's acceptable. It's not always bad. Sometimes it can be a positive, but right. you have to be concerned about lack of financial knowledge. The other is that you have you know, some governmental risk, 
uh, like we don't have that in the U.S. I mean, look at the things that are happening here. Uh, you, you're talking at the beginning of the program. So why should it be any different in the rest of the world? You Correct. Know, uh, Correct. But you have those risks. It's not so much that sure. they're going to come take your stock, but you could have government take actions that could be confiscatory in one way or the other through raising the taxes on the business or restricting growth or making you appoint just local directors to the company when there aren't adequate directors to be on the boards. Mm-hmm. You could have those kind of things that happened. Uh, you know, local, sort of local things. Uh, you know, I remember one time when Americans were concerned that Japanese were buying Rockefeller Center. Yeah. You know, yep. you know, we had all this sort of panic on that. And I used to think, thank goodness they're buying Rockefeller Center. They can't move it. I'm more worried about them taking all our cash for the Nintendo <laughs> games. You know, that's probably far worse than them buying Rockefeller Center, which they couldn't move anywhere else. Correct. Correct. Uh, and so, but you do have those kind of issues come about. And in and, and any any emerging market or any other market, and they don't all come at once, but they can nibble away at your returns over time. And then, of course, uh, just liquidity. Sometimes liquidity may not exist in a particular stock. Okay. All right. Good Good list. And, and uh, let me just ask one more question on that, and then I'll add a comment that most of our regular listeners would not be surprised about, which uh, would be, do you see that governmental risk, any a government risk, any higher than you'd see in, in let's say, uh, South America, which seems to be kind of the, the worst place for uh, governments changing their mind? Uh, on balance, <laughs> the countries that have stock exchanges in Africa, in my opinion, uh, would tend to have less risk. Uh, they're not a safeguard, but they sure. require certain transparencies that you cannot have without a stock market. Uh, so, so I think that uh, that they're less so, and I think they're smart enough to understand that this is not a good thing to do to kill these these uh, these vehicles. So it helps the countries, and I think they understand that. Okay, All they, right. they, they may try, they may try to grab that. part of the benefits. I'm not telling you they wouldn't do that. But I think they're smart enough now to understand it's not a good thing to do to try to close down the stock market. Yeah, and the comment I would I would add for our listeners is that the biggest risk you can often take is not investing. That uh, being afraid of some of these other things, you don't invest, and then it turns out that that was the biggest mistake you made by not doing. And I think Robert, you mentioned examples also where you uh, knew about things and decided not to move ahead, and then not look back and say, uh, "Whoops, that was a mistake." Right. Uh, so not investing can be riskier. Let me uh, remind our listeners, if you would, uh, Robert, how do they contact you, learn more about? Give us that website again. It's CommonwealthFunds.com. Okay, CommonwealthFunds.com. And so that our listeners have a benchmark for the future, the Commonwealth uh, Africa Fund closed at 10.43 on Friday. It'll be interesting how it closes in July of 20. 34. So I put that on my to-do list for 20 years from now to check how it's done and see and I've, how I've well. And I've got you on mine to, to be on the show that day. <laughs> Excellent. Good. In case I forget, you'll remind me. Excellent. Robert, we've covered a lot of aspects related to investing in Africa. What key topic would you like to add or emphasize that maybe we missed? Well, I think diversity is uh, is always a good thing to have mm-hmm. in a portfolio because you do not want everything to be correlated. And, and we've also tried, we have some fixed income in our portfolio, too. You know, okay. yields are higher. Uh, currency could go in the other direction, and those could be extremely profitable kinds of investments. So we not only buy equities, but we have the ability to buy some fixed income, and we do that. And so the same thing applies with an individual portfolio. Uh, I think that, that you benefit by having 
some of your funds invested in markets outside the U.S. The U.S. market is nowhere near as big as it once was and is subject to lots of other influences. And sometimes these regional areas, over time, their, their markets will not respond exactly in the same way, and that's where you benefit. Absolutely. Fifth commandment, diversify. Uh, and that is one we haven't covered on the radio show yet. We've, we've kind of been lax on getting back to the uh, Ten Commandments for investing. So that would be one of the topics you reminded me of. Uh, but absolutely, I think most people understand diversification is important. And again, uh, I'll just repeat the comment that uh, not investing can be riskier than, than investing. So having a small small exposure to a market like Africa, uh, which is a, a continent of countries, not one country, uh, as you appropriately mentioned, so uh, well said. Robert, real pleasure talking to you as usual, and I certainly learned a lot. I've taken a lot of notes here. I didn't expect to. I just A lot of things came up as we talked. I hope you'll uh, agree to join us again in the future, and not, we won't wait till 2034. No, I'd love to. And one, one last thought, Ron. I sure. think that these type of markets – are, if you invest in them, you should not invest your total exposure up front. Right. You really benefit here from dollar averaging mm-hmm. because you do have these cyclical things going on. And I just think if you want to go into these type of markets and you want to put 10000 in, I don't know that you go put 10000 today. You may do that over time because in the end that may, it may help you. It, it certainly takes some of the risk out of it, and I think uh, probably is, is a better strategy uh, in going into these kind of markets. Yep. Buy more when it's low, and uh, might even take some off the top if it really gets uh, really gets good boost. Always works. Always yes. works. Never never hurts to take a profit. Appreciate it, Robert. Look forward to having you back on again. Yeah, thank you very much. Let me just summarize here briefly some of the things. Uh, in, in, when you saw the posting for the show and initially thought to yourself, investing in Africa is just not worth even considering. Uh, maybe you read that Economist magazine edition in 2000 that I cited and didn't follow the changes that have taken place in the last 14 years. Or maybe you've been tainted by all that bad press. That's always a problem, listening to the media. Some of the, oh, how about things like high death rates in Africa from HIV? and recently a 1,000 from the Ebola virus very, very quickly. Or perhaps all of the bad news related to events in the Middle East have tainted your view of all of Africa. So the bottom line, are all those risks and unknowns making you downright fearful investing in that hopeless backward continent, as the economists called it, just like the majority of investors have? Well, think back to my introductory comments about the illogical decisions the governments in the U.S. and other development countries are making. Those decisions ultimately create opportunities in the less developed countries. And keep in mind Warren Buffett's sage advice, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. So when the bad news is coming out on Africa, that might be the time to invest. And with the U.S. stock market reaching 70 new highs, 72 new highs, excuse me, in the last two years, and I look at the S&P 500, by the way, for that measure, the majority of investors are greedy for more U.S. shares, while that same majority is fearful of investing in Africa. You just might want to reconsider. And I started the show with a quote from Frank A. Clark. If you can find a path with no obstacles, it probably doesn't lead anywhere. Hopefully you now recognize why I thought it was germane to today's topic. Now, regular listeners know that our objective is to share the investment fundamentals and form you of investments that could help build your wealth. We want to help 1 million people become millionaires, and ideally, you'll be among one of those. Excuse me. And who knows, maybe a $10,000 investment in Africa today or over the next year or two will be worth a million in 20 years 
All it requires is a 26% compounded average uh, uh, growth rate, and that would be compound annual growth rate more correctly, which I can assure you will not be possible in any of the stock markets in the development countries today, whether that's U.S., Europe, or even some of the more developed ones in South America. And there's absolutely no doubt that putting your money in CDs won't do it. If you missed part of today's discussion, the link in the announcement will take you to the archived version. Of course, you'll always find the full list of past shows on www.wealthdna.us. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund, the Scottsdale, Phoenix area, for helping us put together the show. Now, I don't want you to see the title of our next show and assume it will be a discussion about spreading your wealth to others through another tax hike by the progressive left. No, our next show will actually be a very logical and exciting extension of the last show with Jack Bass and today's show. We'll be discussing an embarrassment of riches with the author of that book, Alexander Green. He's a fascinating, high-energy guy who quickly convinced you this book should be on your reading list. He'll make you realize how important today's topic may be for your future. The Wealth DNA Radio Show will be the uh, fourth Monday of August with Alexander Green. And that's Monday, August 25th, 9 a.m. Arizona, same time, same place. We always have the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have comments or questions, if you haven't received my emails reminding you about the show, send an email to ron at WealthDNA.us, or follow The Ronald, all one word, on Facebook or Twitter. We'll keep you posted. Happy investing and researching Africa. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.